Now, what I'd love us to do now is if you could grab a Bible and turn it open to Luke chapter 20. We're continuing our journey through Luke's gospel, and we're going to be reading from verse 45. And the verses I'm actually preaching on are Luke 21, 1 to 4. But what I want us to do is just get some context of what Jesus is teaching in Luke 21. So we're going to read the final few verses of Luke chapter 20 as well. There should be some Bibles in the pews in front of you. If not, turn it on on your phone, open up Bible Gateway, whatever. But do keep the text open in front of you so you can make sure that I'm not making this stuff up and that this is actually what God is saying to us. So Luke chapter 20, verse 45. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. But they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All of these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. So if you've been with us since we launched, you'll know that we've been going through the gospel of Luke for the past few weeks, and we've heard some really challenging and transformative teaching from Jesus. Today, I think that we encounter Jesus's most challenging teaching yet. His teaching on the spiritual discipline of generosity. And it is a spiritual discipline. It takes practice and commitment for us to become more like Jesus in this area of our lives, to see that everything that belongs to us belongs to Jesus. So as we talk about this and go through these verses together tonight, I want us to remember that Jesus gave everything for us. His life, he even died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus is the most generous person that ever lived. Now, for those of you that are new to St. Thomas's tonight or new to church, I don't want you to think that as soon as you've arrived, all the vicar wants to do is talk about money and talk about giving. The truth is that as a church, we're committed to teaching the whole Bible, even the challenging and uncomfortable bits. And the, the, the thing that's challenging for us tonight is that after heaven and hell, Jesus talks about generosity more than, and giving more than anything else. And that makes us uncomfortable because we don't really like to talk about money. It's one of those taboo subjects along with politics and religion that we don't really talk about. And we tend to think that those that do talk about money only do it to boast about how virtuous they are or to boast about how holy and righteous they are. But this whole area is is really challenging. I can remember when I was a university student and in our first year, my my first year, um, I was a student in Sheffield, went to a fantastic church called St. Thomas Crooks. And in my first year, we had some teaching on generosity and money. And um, Mick Woodhead, who was was my vicar there, taught me some fantastic things about generosity and giving. One was that if if you don't really feel 
the generosity, if you don't really feel um, you know, the amount you're giving is changing your life or it's making you sacrifice something, if it doesn't hurt, then you're probably not giving generously at all. So anyway, I can remember being really challenged on generosity and I can remember a bunch of my mates went out for dinner to a restaurant in first year. And I thought, right, I'm going to start putting this giving in, this generosity thing into practice. So we had this dinner and towards the end of the meal, I sneaked off to the toilet and, but really I went to pay the bill without anybody else knowing. And um, anyway, I came back, no one was none the wiser. And then at the end of the meal, somebody said, right, should we get the bill then? And they called over the waiter and the waiter came over and this person asked for the bill and the waiter said, oh, it's already been paid. And I was sat there feeling really smug. I was trying to get people to notice. It was me, it was me. Um, inside, that's what I was saying. But all around the table, people were thinking, was it that couple over there? Was it that person over there? He looked really rich. Or was it that family over there? They looked really lovely. And inside, I was just thinking, it was me, it was me. Can't you see that it was me? And I wanted my generosity to be noticed. I was only doing it so that people could say, oh, how good is Ben or how generous is Ben? That is not the reason to give. But that's how lots of us think about giving. We don't give to be noticed. We don't give to please God. We do it because by God's grace, we become more like Jesus every day. We do it because we model our lives on Jesus Christ who gave everything for us. Now, what I really want us to take away from today, if we don't take away anything else, this is what I want us to take away, this quote from C.S. Lewis that's on the screens. The only things that we can keep are the things that we freely give to God. What we try to keep for ourselves is just what we are sure to lose. Now, the world has a fascination with wealth. It always has done. Ever since the dawn of humankind, we've had a fascination with money and with accumulating stuff and wealth. And we all know the statistics about the obscene amount of money that's going to be spent in most Western countries at this time of the year. We all know people who want to earn as much money as possible because they think that it's going to make them happier. Jim Carrey said this, I think that everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it is not the answer. The Bible mentions money about 800 times. In the book of Luke, it, money and giving is Jesus's favorite subject. Why? Because he wants us to see that getting rich and famous is not the answer to our problems either. Now, why is this generosity, financial giving, one of Jesus's favorite subjects? Well, it's one of Jesus's favorite subjects because when Jesus is talking about money, he's not really talking about money. When Jesus talks about generosity, he's talking about so much more than our wallets. He's talking about the very state and condition of our hearts. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart shall also be. So if you think that you've come to church today and the vicar's just talking about money, I am. But I'm actually talking about money because I want us to deal with everything in our lives. I want every single part of us to be sold out to Jesus Christ. I want us to give permission to God to touch every single area of our lives. And therefore, when we're talking about money, we're talking about everything. 
We're talking about the effect and the impact the gospel is having on our lives. Now, generosity um, was one of the defining features of the early church. So Julian, who was a, a Roman em emperor, he tried to repaganize the Roman Empire after Christianity had been legalized and Christianity became the religion of the empire. And he found it really difficult to repaganize the Roman Empire and make it um, not Christian again. And he wrote about why he found it so difficult. And this is what he said. These impious Galileans, Christians, feed not only their own poor, but ours as well. In other words, the reason it was so difficult to repaganize the Roman Empire is because these bunch of Jesus followers were not only looking after their own widows and their own children and their own homeless and their own um, elderly people and people who couldn't afford to eat. They were looking after everybody at the same time. And so this thing, the Christian faith, was so attractive to people. Now, Jesus' teaching on giving and generosity is supposed to transform and change us too. Imagine if we were known to be like this here in Newcastle. Imagine if all the churches were known to be like this. Can you imagine the impact that we would have on this city? We're called to reflect the generosity of God. And as I've said, God gave everything for us. Jesus gave his life. And therefore, we give everything of us back to him. And this is why Jesus talks about giving and generosity so much. It's not really about giving. It's about the state and the direction that our hearts are turned to. Now, one of the things that has constantly amazed me over the past year is the people that have moved cities, mainly from York, but from other places as well, to come and get involved in what God is doing here at St. Thomas's. People have given up jobs. People have um, turned down promotions. People have given up school places for their kids. People have moved away from biological families. People have sacrificially given financially to make this thing happen. That's a sign of responding to the call to be generous from God. And it amazes me every single day. Now, as we read these verses this afternoon, the question that we should be faced with is this. Is there a way in which we can be like Jesus himself and overflow with generosity so that we can be a blessing to those around us? Now, the answer is that there is a way. And it's embodied in these verses that we're going to look at tonight in Luke 21. And it's embodied in a very unlikely person. Now, before we go any further, these are the questions that I want us to think about as we go through the Bible verses tonight. Where do I need to be more generous? What am I holding back for myself? And in what ways is God asking me to become more like Jesus? So here we have a very famous story of the widow and her coins. So just a little bit of context. In Luke chapter 20, verses 45 to the end, um, Jesus has been teaching in the temple. And um, in the last few verses of Luke chapter 20, he launches a scathing attack on the religious elite who are just doing things for show. They're wearing fancy robes and parading around the temple or the synagogue. 
They're wanting the most respect in the marketplace. They're praying lengthy prayers, but they don't really mean them. They're just doing it for show. And Jesus launches this singing, singing attack on these people. And then he's finished this teaching and he's sat in the temple with his disciples. And he's going to teach them what true generosity looks like. And so look at verse one. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Lots of people going up and giving lots of money. The disciples were presumably impressed. But should they have been? Should the disciples have been impressed by this um, level or show of apparent amazing generosity? Well, if they'd been listening to Jesus' teaching on giving and generosity throughout the previous 20 chapters of Luke's gospel, then they probably wouldn't have been impressed by this showing of generosity and giving at all. Now, some context to this giving in the temple. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches his disciples what it means to be generous. And this is what he says. This is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will receive no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Do not announce your giving with trumpets. Now, have you ever thought that that's a rather odd expression. Do not announce your giving with trumpets. Well, a little bit of context to this. The giving boxes in a synagogue or in a temple were in the shape of a trumpet. They were even called the trumpets. That was their name. They were made of metal and they were shaped like a ram's horn and they could actually be used as a trumpet as well as being shaped like a trumpet. So when you went to the temple and you gave your money to the temple, basically what you do is you'd take your coins, you'd walk up to the giving box, the trumpet, and you'd throw in a coin and ting, it would make a noise. And if you were really wealthy, you'd take another coin, ting. And some people would want to be seen to be so generous that they'd take their 60 coins and they'd make a real big deal of all of their giving. So people would be stood there listening to the rings and they'd be Ting, 48, 49, 50. And everyone was supposed to be really impressed by this. They were making a spectacle of it. And people, people from the temple or people from the synagogue would sit and listen and watch. And of course, the more that people gave, the more the religious elite were impressed. Now, Jesus is saying that if you behave like that, if you're making a spectacle of your giving, then you are a hypocrite. You are just giving for human praise, which is what I was trying to do back when I was a first year at university. You're not giving out of real generosity in order to, um, you know, in response to God's love for you. You're just doing it to please other people or maybe even to please God. Now, what really matters in giving is the motivation. Jesus is not so much interested in the amount that you give, but the motivation behind it. Why did you give? Why did you withhold that bit of money? Or why did you give so much money there? What was the motivation behind it? That's what Jesus is interested in. So the question on the back of this first verse 
for us is then, well, how can I give and not be a hypocrite? Well, we're introduced to this widow, aren't we, in verse 2. Luke chapter 21, verse 2. It says, he saw a widow put in two very small copper coins. Now, today we meet the hero of our story. A woman, a widow with very little legal status. Now, these kinds of people are often the heroes of Jesus' stories, aren't they? It's very rarely the rich. It's very rarely the famous. It's usually the poor, the marginalized, those on the edge. In a male-dominated society, this woman had no husband to earn money for her, no one to look after her. It's quite possible that she had no home or no land of her own. And she comes into the temple and puts in her offering to God. And she very quietly places in two small copper coins. And they're not even worth pennies. In the original Greek, the word for the coin here is lepton. And the amount in today's currency that this, these leptons are worth, two of them, is one fortieth of a pence. That's what she gave. Now, the people watching as she puts her two coins into the trumpet have just seen all of this gener apparently generous giving by these religious rich people. These two small copper coins come in and they're probably sat there thinking, gosh, that... That woman is so tight. She's so stingy. Why is she not giving any more? She's not being generous. In comparison with the amount of giving that's just come in before, it's possible, very probable, that the, the Pharisees would be muttering and tutting, mocking her. What is this offering from this pitiful widow? But notice what Jesus says to his disciples about this widow. Verse 3. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. For these people gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, gave all she had to live on. So what's Jesus saying to his disciples here? He's basically saying, listen, team. Listen up. This woman has given more than all of the others combined. Now, if you're one of Jesus' disciples, you're probably sat there thinking, well, how can this be? She's given two fortieths of a penny. These people are putting hundreds, maybe thousands of pounds. And Jesus' answer is quite simple. Because she gave everything. Now, this is why when Jesus is talking about money, he's not just talking about money. He's talking about so much more. He's talking about the whole of our lives, the very state and condition of our hearts. This widow, although she gave less than a penny, less than half a penny, was, gave more because she gave everything. She understands generosity. This widow, if you like, had the same attitude as that of Jesus himself, who gave up everything, came down from heaven, gave up the riches of heaven and took on the form of a human being and died a criminal's death, even a death on a cross. Why? For you and for me. Jesus gave his whole life so I could be free. The answer 
the, the question, sorry, for me is therefore, what should I give in return? Now, this widow and Jesus' Jesus's response to her is deeply, deeply challenging. I'm going to read a quote from a commentary that I read in the week and buckle up because it will smack you between the eyes. So this is from William Barclay. Real giving must be sacrificial. The amount of the gift never matters so much as its cost to the giver. Not the size of the gift, but the sacrifice. Real generosity gives until it hurts. For many of us, it is a real question if ever our giving to God, God's work, is any sacrifice at all. Few people will do without their pleasures to give a little more to the work of God. Now here, here's where it gets really challenging. It may well be the sign of the decadence of the church and the failure of our Christianity that gifts have to be coaxed out of church people and that often they will not give at all unless, something, unless they get something back in the way of entertainment or of goods. There can be few of us who read this story without shame. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I thought, ouch. It's challenging, isn't it? God measures, William Barclay is saying, not by how much we give, but how much we keep for ourselves. And I think it's true that, you know, some, some parts of the church in the West do give and in return, they expect entertainment. They expect a great product at church or they expect a great service or they expect a great worship leader or preacher or whatever it may be. But, you know, church is not a golf club. We don't pay our membership so that we can get access to the best greens or whatever it may be. Church is not a Spotify subscription. You don't pay so that you can get unlimited music on tap. Church is not a Netflix subscription. Now, as I read this quote from William Barclay, I, of course, was challenged myself. Is my giving really on that level? All of the time? Is, in what ways am I like this widow? In what ways am I like the rich religious people? Look good on the outside, but in reality, I'm holding stuff back from God. And this is why Jesus talks about money. Because he doesn't want us to see our giving as like a Spotify subscription or a Netflix subscription or whatever it is that we pay our monthly um, amounts to. Because he's getting right to the heart of who we are. It gets right to the heart of whether we understand how much Jesus has done for us. Now we see this in a very real way in Mark's gospel. So if you can, in your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10. I'm just going to read verses 17 to 22 to us. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. So Jesus was setting out on a journey. And Mark says, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and said, good teacher, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father or mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all of these commandments from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all of your possessions and give, give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Now, very quickly, a rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? Now, the answer that Jesus gives is one that we might expect. Basically, you need to be perfect in order to inherit eternal life. You need to have kept all of the commandments. And this man says, Jesus, I've done that. In fact, I've done that ever since I was a teenager. Jesus then throws in basically a trick question. Jesus says, well, okay, sell everything that you have, give your money to the poor and come and follow me. Now, the man, the man goes away sad because he can't do it. And in not being able to fill, fulfill that request from Jesus, Jesus is basically exposing this man's whole heart. Jesus has exposed in that one question that this rich young ruler hasn't really kept any of the Ten Commandments at all. Why? Because he's put money before God. He's put money before loving neighbour and friends. He's had false idols, money. He can't give it up. And so Jesus is basically exposing, look, rich young ruler, your God is not God at all. It is your bank account. Now, the reason that Jesus can say this is, is, of course, that the way in which we get eternal life is not by doing anything. It's a free, undeserved, unmerited gift. Jesus died on a cross, exchanged his perfection for our, our imperfection so that we could have eternal life. And it's a free gift. Jesus asks this question to expose that this guy hasn't really been keeping the Ten Commandments at all. He really doesn't have a generous heart. Now, what we see again in these challenging verses is this, anything we put before God becomes our God. It could be relationships, it could be finance, it could be a football team, it could be a TV program, it could be a whole load of things. Now what I want to say to you is this, that your money will not die for you. That football team you worship or that body image that you crave or whatever it is that you're putting before God, it will not die for you and it cannot rise again for you. Only Jesus Christ did that. This is why C.S. Lewis said what I read at the beginning. The only things that we can keep are the things that we freely give to God. What we try to keep for ourselves will be just what we are sure to lose. Now, I sense for lots of the church in the West, we need to step up our practice of spiritual generosity and of giving and not just money, but time and talents and giftings and all of those kinds of things. And this is really challenging, but I'm not talking about this to, as I'm genuinely not talking about this to coax money out of people. I'm doing it because I passionately believe that learning to live a generous life is one of the most emotionally healthy things that you can do. 
And it's what God has for you and it's the best thing for you. And when we remember that Jesus died for us and it was a free, undeserved, unmerited gift and we let his grace and his life and his resurrection transform us, money will just become money. A TV program will just become a TV program. But Jesus will become everything to us. Jesus will become everything. Now there's a hymn that's probably well known to many of us, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The last verse of that hymn goes like this. Were the whole realm of nature mine, even that would be an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Now when we sing that, we usually sing it with lots of passion and lots of gusto. But think about what we're actually singing. If everything in the whole of the universe was ours, all of the galaxies, all of the planets, all of the stars, and we were to lay it at the feet of Jesus, even that would not be enough. Even that would not be enough because we can never outgive God. And the thing that's so challenging from these Bible verses today is that although we sing that and we sing it with lots of passion and all of that, the reality is that lots of us struggle to work out whether we should give anything at all. Whether we should be generous to the church, to charity, to anybody. The reason that I'm so passionate about this is because today, all over the world, people will be giving their lives for following Jesus Christ. And the church in the West, we're spending more on pet food than on giving to the church. People all over the world today are going to be tortured for following Jesus. And we can't work out whether to break off those unhealthy relationships that are so damaging to us. But this is really, really challenging stuff. But as the final verse of that hymn that I just read out said, it isn't really about just our bank accounts. It's not about our wallets. It's not about just giving our time. It's about everything. Love so amazing, so divine, demands every single part of me. Now, for those of us that are a, um, a little younger, um, students, those just starting out in careers, um, I learned, again, through the teaching of my um, vicar in Sheffield, Mick, that if I could learn to give when I was on a very little amount of money, basically when I was a student, if I could learn to give when I wasn't earning any money, then it would be so much easier for me to give when I did start earning money. It, you know, if you earn, take the example, if you're earning £10 a month, it's relatively easy to give £1 a month away. But if you don't put the spiritual discipline into practice now, when you're earning ten grand a month, as some of you will do, It'll be very difficult to give £1,000 away because the, the leap is just so huge. It's a discipline. It take, like going to the gym, it takes work and it takes practice and you've got to build up the spiritual muscle of generosity and of giving. The other reason um, 
I'm really passionate about this is um, just studying these verses this past week. I've read a few. Um, I've read a few studies in medical journals and psychological journals on giving and generosity. And there's good scientific evidence to show that people that are financially generous live less stressed lives, have better mental health, have better relationships, and people that are financially generous live longer than those who aren't. Now, why is that? Well, again, I think it's because when Jesus is talking about money, he's talking about everything. Our hearts, our priorities, what we worship, who we worship, why we worship. And this is also why these Bible verses are so challenging and make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Now, what can we give back to the one who gave everything for us? The answer from Jesus is very clear. Everything. Now, here's the amazing, amazing truth. In giving everything, we get all of Jesus. God has made a covenant with us through Jesus on the cross. In which he says to me, Ben, you have everything everything that belongs to me. In fact, he says, I'm a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I'm going to inherit everything that Jesus inherits. God gets everything of me. Now, I'd say that that's a pretty good deal because God's God and I'm just a weak, fallible human being. Infallible. No, fallible, not infallible. I'm not the, I'm not the Pope, you'll be pleased to hear. Now, that's a pretty good deal because God, as I've said, created the whole of the universe. He's the one who flung stars into space. He owns everything and we get everything of his. How could we not give everything back in return? The final reason I'm so passionate about this, and we're going to take communion in just a moment, is because I think that when the church truly, truly gets this, it will be completely unstoppable. Can you imagine a bunch of people who say to God, have all of me, my priorities, my time, my money, my gifts, my relationships, have all of me. Imagine the impact that the church could have on this city. We're only five, six weeks old here at St. Thomas's. Imagine the impact that this group of people could have on the city. I promise you, I'm not talking to you about money just because I want to. I'm talking to you about it, A, because it came up in the Bible readings and we're just committed to teaching the whole Bible. And secondly, because I passionately believe that giving will be the, one of the best things that you ever do. Now we're going to take communion together in just a moment where we remember that Jesus gave everything for us. His body broken, his blood poured out so that we could be whole. Before we do that, though, I just want to remind us what it is that we're doing here. You know, we're not planting St. Thomas's, we've not planted St. Thomas's Newcastle as a resource church just so that we can have a big church meeting in St. Thomas's. We've not done it um, just so that we can have amazing worship leaders and have a good experience. We've done it because we want to see the city transformed. 
We've done it because we genuinely believe that the gospel can and does change lives. So just to end our reflection on these verses together tonight, I'm just going to replay the vision video that we've not played in a few, um, in a few weeks here. And this is why we do it. It's not for us. It's not for our sake. It's all for the glory of Jesus Christ. What we would um, love for everybody to do just on the back of these Bible verses tonight is to pray about how we can be more generous. And um, I realize that there's people here tonight that don't live in Newcastle. There's people who are just checking us out. I'm not asking you to give um, to the work of St. Thomas's if, if that is you. Um, but please do consider about what you give to your home church. Consider what you give to mission and to, and to enabling the gospel to go further around the world. Consider what you give to the needy and to the vulnerable and to the, and to the marginalized. For those of us that are joining us on the adventure here, I would love us to pray about how we can be generous to the vision that God has given us. But we do that, we pray about that because of what we're about to do now, which is remembering that Jesus has given everything for you.